Yeah. See, he just looks like such an innocent dude and just like wreaking By the havoc. Way, this could increase the view count, I'm telling you. Doggo right? in the in the pod. I mean in the geez. shot. Oh for gosh. the listeners, beautiful. What what breed is this? He is a Bichon Frise. Uh, just two years old. Almost a show dog there. <laughs> A little bit. I think they, they grew up as like circus dogs, so he's like very it's also much like, like a it's like a therapy dog for founders, you know? It totally is. Just put him on your lap, go through all those <laughs> unless rejections. He, unless he's screaming or barking during pitches, then you're you know, you're uh, but if we're 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 casual here on seed stories. Thanks for, for being on the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Seed Stories. I'm excited to have Rod on the show from Law Trades. We actually met in a Twitter thread, harrowing entrepreneurial journey, um, culminated with a recent raise of capital. So I really wanted to get you on the show, Rod. Excited to have you. Thanks, John. Uh, excited to be here. We always start on, like, what's the backstory? How did you get into startups and technology? Um, you can take us back as far as you want. I feel like I've been tinkering on the internet um, from as long as I can remember. I was I was born in 1987, um, so probably around when I was like 12 or 13, I was just building websites for family and friends. Um, I I was a heavy AIM user, so I, I set up a site where people can like. I don't know if you guys remember that or that's too old, but like they used to be ASL. Yeah, yeah, ASL, aim buddy icons. So I did a couple of sites there. And um, before Law Trades, I launched one of the first apps on the Facebook App Store that just basically let people customize their cover, uh, cover photo. And uh, to my surprise, that went viral and grew to about 30 million hits a month. And I built a decent six figure business through banner ads while I was in law school. And that's amazing. Um, hacking together a project like that, did you, uh, I mean, it's not a hack. It was legitimate business. It sounds like, <laughs> did you know, or think about, um, or even understand the sort of raising out side capital industry at that point, you know, or like how to seek capital for that business? Or did you just kind of bootstrap it into existence? Yeah, yeah. no, there was no fundraising at all. It was, it was all just hobbies, things I would do for fun. Like if it made a little bit of money, like that was, that was cool. Um, the Facebook cover site was the one I think at its peak was doing like 250, 300K a year, just from like a bunch of people clicking Google AdSense. So there was no need to raise capital. And that's kind of like, I, I, I like that aspect of building companies. I want to get, I want to get to the sort of the germination of the idea for law trades. Um, what was it that you were, what was the big problem that you were setting up to solve? Yeah. So I had the idea for it while I was in law school and I was pretty much graduating into one of the worst job markets in the legal industry history at the time. And, um, I wanted to get more <laughs> like lawyers jobs, I guess, online, get them hired. And instead of doing it, the traditional way of going and working at a law firm for 10 years, I wanted there to be some sort of platform where they can do it in a more entrepreneurial way. They can sign up for a website, create a profile, get access to flexible work on the internet, get paid for practicing law and do it from wherever they wanted and set their own hours and rates. So something like that didn't exist. And um, it started off kind of on, you know, it's a marketplace, but it started off with the um, intention of helping a bunch of independent lawyers earn an income online. And then eventually we iterated it to include more 
uh, businesses that would be able to sort of hire them and kind of um, build it out to the marketplace it is today. Very cool. Give me a little bit of um, like chronology here. What year are we in? I've been actually working on this for quite some bit. And, you know, when we originally launched it, we didn't really raise any capital. I thought it was just going to be another side passive income thing like my other um, apps that I've sort of worked on um, before. So around 2015, I was basic MVP up that just allowed lawyers to um, sync their Google calendar and list their real-time availabilities and people can go there, click a slot and get a free consultation with them. Um, eventually, um, we knew we wanted to, and by we at the time, it was still just me. I, I'm just so used to just saying we, totally. it was like me team, and team, team player, team player. Yeah, exactly. Um, around 2016 or so is when, um, we got into, I, I applied to 500 startups after getting rejected from them, like three times, um, they, uh, finally let us in and we had this marketplace like model transferring money. Uh, we had a basic MVP. Uh, we knew we wanted to build out a marketplace that allowed companies to hire lawyers. We didn't really build out a whole lot of technology at that point. We were literally like, like Venmoing lawyers for, you know, work that they completed because clients would pay us or we hacked together some PayPal links. So it was very, not that sophisticated, but we solved the core problem of like just connecting people who need legal work done to people who are available to provide it. And then figured out all the other stuff afterwards around pricing and matchmaking algorithms and all of that. Um, so we got into 500 startups. Um, we were predominantly focused around serving SMBs at the time, small businesses, startups, and um, pitched, um, raised our seed round shortly afterwards, um, and um, you know got to got to a place where we thought we had a a good business. Um, shortly realized that we didn't really because. Um, our retention sucked. And, you know, if you are a early stage startup, you know, one of the last things you want to spend lots of money on is a bunch of lawyers. Like you're trying to hire engineers, you're trying to find product market fit. So it's like really like last on the priority list. So it didn't really, um, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense, um, for us to continue growing the top line revenue for this market segment that essentially, like, you know, um, had kind of a leaky a, bucket issue. Yeah. It wasn't a big hair on fire for the customer that so much so that they were like, you know, climbing over themselves to be a customer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we got a lot of them. We, you know, we, we did a lot of SEO work. We did a lot of AdWords. Um, and then ultimately this kind of, you know, we can kind of chat about this or, or, or do a little bit later. It kind of leads to like what I talked about on that thread that sort of went viral unexpectedly. But, you know, we failed to raise a Series A because another big mm -hmm. competitor came out and we had to take a really hard look at our business model. And we kind of came to the conclusion that we can't just like continue on this path and just keep growing top line revenue. We had to get profitable. We needed solid unit economics. And that led us to, you know, another path of going through our customer segment, finding the ones that actually use this like every day and like mm. we're actually profitable and ultimately led to this gigantic pivot to a different market segment still within the legal space but just like more focused around actual legal departments that had like a daily need for legal services than just like a quarterly or yearly um and you know felt like the worst thing at the time but it was the best thing we did and we pretty much like had to 
say no to like 300 plus customers and start from scratch with like five core customers and rebuild the product. And there's a lot to unpack there. And I want to yeah. give the audience some detail. Um, when you said you raised a little bit of a seed uh, funding out of 500 startups, what did that round look like? And did you raise on safes? Did you raise a price round? What kind of capital are we talking about and, and sort of valuation range? Yeah, so total raised to date before um, we did this recent Series A was about 3.7 million. That wasn't all at once. It was in about, we did our like seed round, which was roughly around like 3 million bucks or so, mm -hmm. um, including 500's investment and um, a few other people, uh, Draper Associates invested, Graph Ventures, social, social capital. Um, and then we did like two bridges after that, which was on a safe. So the first initial one was a price round. Then we did a, a cap safe, which was around like a $12 million cap. This is like kind of like 20, let's say like 2017 or so, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we're lucky that we had, you know, this, this is one of the benefits of working with like institutionals is like, you know, um, they, they, they helped us out, right? They, they wrote us another check when the business wasn't doing so well. And we just needed a little bit of extra runway. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if we'd still be here without that extension, but, um, we, we, we got it that extended our runway that allowed us to then kind of buy more time to figure out the business model and, um, yeah, got us where we are now. Yeah. I think the, the interesting think piece about that is institutional capital on the, on the cap table early on can obviously be a massive supercharger. However, if you're in a choppy, um, launch, right. Um, and if you do have the benefit of a partner who hasn't discounted it to zero already, um, then you can get that assistance because there's deep pockets and they're like, this is going to be a binary outcome. Um, in the other, in the other sense, there's so much, um, deal flow at these firms, the institutionals that they may not want to spend time with somebody who's maybe falling behind the pack. Now, what we know is Airbnb launched three times, right? Like Coinbase mm -hmm. took a long time to become mainstream. Like a lot of really great companies took a while to take off. And so, you know, one thing that is important to normalize here is that like, yeah, you took additional capital as you went in order to sort of get to the next stage. And it doesn't look like a perfect seed round, right? Maybe the headline was that, but yeah. that wasn't actually what occurred. Um, so that's that's really helpful and I, I want to talk a little bit about the traction once you once you um you didn't really pivot you just changed your go to market um um rahul from uh superhuman always talks about like focus on your highest nps customers like the people super jazzed about using your product or service and then build build for them versus like the people who are either you know, in the middle, don't care too much for the people who are really angry about it. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it sounds like you you had that insight. What traction were you really looking to achieve once you sort of relaunched the category you were focused on? Um, honestly, it, 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 we didn't really set a really high ambition in terms of like, this is the revenue we want to hit. Like, I think this month we're going to be doing over 700K in monthly revenues. But at the time, it was just like, we need to survive. We make more money than what spending right now, which is predominantly on payroll for a couple of guys. 
So I read all the superhuman stuff like after we ended up doing this 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 kind of pivot, um, and it really doesn't make sense. It's you're just you're uncertain, right? And I get it from like a founder's perspective now, looking back of like who you should go after, and so you mm -hmm. just go after everybody, and 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 you mm -hmm. can just be like, oh, small businesses. I just want to just so we got to just blanket every single person because you're anxious. You don't really know who the right person is. You you think that they're too small of a segment. And we kind of thought that as well. We're just like, how many general counsels really are there? Um, so there's that anxiety always of just like, um, when you sort of zoom in a little bit on your customer segment, is there like a big enough market? But I think a lot of it just comes from intuition. A lot of it comes from data and you, you have to talk to your customers. I know that's something like YCO was drills down and it's, it's so funny. Like after we went through this whole experience, like I, like I, I would read and watch all the YC advice and at the time, they didn't really make much sense or I was just like, yeah, you know, like I, I thought I really took it to heart, but like, it's only when you really like fuck up, like royally that you then turn back to those, you know, talks basics. with Paul Graham and the basics. And you're just like, oh, like that's what he meant. Talking to customers. That's what they meant. Ramen profitable. Build, that's what building. they meant. Like, yeah. don't do things at scale. You know, we literally restarted the product with a spreadsheet and like, again, it was just a, such a humbling process. and. Um, you get lost in a lot of that, right? You think that just because you raise a seed round from top tier VCs that you figured it out. Like that's the, I would say, arguably, that's the easy part. That was the easiest part about yeah. it. It's still hard. Fundraising is still hard and clearly it was for us because of the, you know, the whole sort of drama that went down with that. But um, ultimately it's, it's really just finding that core base of customers and just going heads down and just building, building, building to solve something for them. And um, and you're constantly tinkering between how much stuff do I do manually versus how much stuff do I like code out and automate. And we're still at that phase today. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to get to that. I think there's two things I want to reflect here is people always wonder about what the magic of YC is. And I did the core program and the growth program. It's nothing more than just eliminating all the distractions and focusing on your customers. Right. And just yeah. relent being relentless about building features and services that they really need. And so I'm, I'm so glad that you had that, that, that turning point or that awakening, regardless of where it came from. The second thing is like, I wonder what your psychology was like during this time. You know what I mean? And how did you manage the anxiety of like, oh man, this initial thesis we had is not working. How are we gonna, how are we gonna turn the ship um, the right direction? I mean, I was super depressed, <laughs> you know, I was just like, this was, this was, this, this was the idea. This is, this is the, the market segment that I studied for the last three plus years. And, you know, like lots of thoughts were going through my head. Like we're, we're starting from zero again. What do we tell our investors? We, we had to pretty much fire 80% of our team because we were starting from scratch again. Um, so there was lots of anxiety. I was, probably pretty depressed around that time period too, that like, we have to sort of do this again. And like, you know, you kind of feel like, oh, I'm an idiot, right? Like, well, how did all these other startups do it? Like, like the biggest idiot ever. Um, but the, 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 the startups you read about, by the way, the vast the starts you read about. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's kind of why like, I, I did the thread that I did, because I'm just like, that's not like, whatever you read is not reality, right? And like, I we got press for the Series A, and that was cool. But it was just so like, also, surface level right like of just like yeah it's it made it sound like everything was great and when you talk to reporters it's like you, you got 30 minutes of their time they're going to quickly i mean 
obviously I'm super grateful for everyone that wrote about us, but like, for sure. it's very, very surface level. And, um, and, and you know, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast and one of the reasons like I put out that thread is like, like people need to see like the vast majority of companies are messy as hell. They, they're not mm-hmm. a clear path. They're not just like seed A, B, C, and then IPO. Like there's just so many. And, and at the time I just thought like, that was just us. Right. Um, yeah. and, and, and as I, as we still stuck with it, I've learned so many more stories similar to ours. And it's really important because if I heard more of that, when I was doing this pivot, I probably wouldn't be as depressed, but, um, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it was like sink or swim. Um, I put all my chips in this company, right. So to speak. And I wasn't, I wasn't ready to give up. Right. Like I, I was just, yeah, I was yeah. just, there's no way I was going to, I was going to give up. Um, and the, we just kept at it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate you sharing that and being vulnerable. I think it's really important for other founders to hear the reason we put the show together is to help the folks before you or at stages prior to you to understand what the reality of building a company looks like through the lens of fundraising. I'm also glad that you said it's only, it's it's the easy part of building the company. I I, I liken it to having a, a guide take you up a mountain. You still got to, you still got to climb the mountain yourself. And along the way you get like some food, maybe there's some food stops along the way, but you still got to mm-hmm. climb the mountain, you know? And you learn everything about climbing the mountain when you're at the top. So it's too late, you know? Yeah. Um, so really appreciate you, sh- you sharing that. Um, you know, one thing that resonated with me was about your story was there was this massive company that was out there ra- that had raised a god-awful amount of money, um, you know, specifically Atrium run by Justin Kahn, who's a seasoned entrepreneur and, you know, very well liked around, you know, sort of the core Silicon Valley um, cadre. So how did you, um, how did you handle that um, when you were running your fundraising process and just kind of thinking about it? Um, What was that experience like? Yeah. I mean, I think the initial reaction was just like, like seriously, like the guy that freaking sold Twitch for a billion dollars is doing a legal tech startup. That's a marketplace. Like, like what the hell are the chances of that? Like, like, you know, it's, it's just like, I know the legal tech market is like pretty big, but it's just like, it was in my head, just, well, still in the bigger landscape of things, a relatively niche kind of industry. And, you know, it's lots of people spend money on legal, but just never thought that would happen. Right. So that was the initial reaction. Like, 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 like what the fuck, um, <laughs> afterwards, um, it was just like this realization that like, that's something out of our control. And like, Mm -hmm. we can't do anything about that. And like things that are out of our control, like why focus energy on that? Um, So I think if anything, it made us even more focused on really building the thing that actually uh, worked for us. And around this time, we were kind of going through this pivot. So when we saw, um, when we saw him kind of enter the space and it was predominantly, you know, in the startup space, which we kind of really, you know, brutally like realized that, it was a very unprofitable, um, really hard unit economic market to build upon. Um, we just focused on us, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's scary. It, 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 it completely derailed our series a, so I think he ended up raising from like a hundred plus VCs and like super, super angels and, and, and top tier VCs. Yeah. Top tier VCs. And it pretty much like we were raising our series A around the same time. So like, 
he talked to every, I mean, he raised from every single person we were in talks with, and then it made so much sense why people stopped responding back to our emails. And then we were just like, all right, like that, this is it. It's just, it's just us. We're not raising again. We have this product. We have a couple of people that are still sort of dedicated to the mission, dedicated to the cause. Like, let's, let's just, let's rebuild this thing. Let's get it profitable. Let's, let's just go even harder. So if anything, it kind of motivated us to just be like, we're, we're making this work one way or another. And, um, and again, I think there are benefits, you know, like in terms of benefits, it definitely put legal tech on the map. Um, mm. so like, I think, you know, ironically, we also raised from a hundred plus investors, but they were all like customers, users on our supply side operators. Like they're all kind of like these other individual type invite. We had a VC as well, but majority of it was like these individuals. Um, it, it, it put legal tech on the map and, um, yeah. And, you know, I'm not like, ha- I mean, they ended up sort of shutting down and after raising 75 million bucks, like, I'm not like happy about that, but like, you know, it really is like, again, just goes, goes to show you that it's not just about the capital that you raise. It's, it's about the market. It's about the business model. It's about the team. It's about how long you're willing to take the pain and stick it out. Yeah. Um, and we just, I think just just gave a shit more about the space for whatever reason. Um, Shots fired. I love it. Um, I, but I, but I also say the postmortem that you could even ask Justin about is they were like way over vertically integrated way too early. Um, and I think that your approach has been sort of like, you know, layering on features as you go versus like starting with the boiling the ocean. And I think that's really important for entrepreneurs to understand. The second thing that's really crystal clear here is like, look, Google, Facebook, Amazon are probably never going to copy or kill your startup idea. They're just like big machines now that that rarely, you know, go after startups. And if they do, it's usually a total flop. Um, uh, well-funded new entrants are scary as shit because they actually can take market share, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a good example is Brex and Ramp, right? The Brex was kind of like off, you know, scaling at like, a crazy, crazy speed. And then all of a sudden ramp came in. And so there's a real, Mm -hmm. real competition, Um, you know, but going back to sort of PG advice, you know, focusing on your competitors, you should be competitor aware, but not like focused, right? Like, and I think you've, despite what happened to Atrium, it sounds like you made it on the other side, which leads me to this RUV you did with Angelus, which I think is really cool, especially having raised, um, we had a, um, a song from Ifani on the show and he did an RUV with his customers as well, which is like super secure mobile phones. Mm-hmm. So tell me about how you thought about that and like why, I mean, obviously you probably had gone out to raise and it was a little bit choppy. So what made you want to do your next, you know, sort of round in this format? Yeah, I, I don't know. We're like a, we're like a weird company where we just do things in strange ways because it creates an interesting story for us, um, you know, to look back on. I mean, like that was kind of fun. So when we learned about the RUV, it just, it just sounded like such a perfect fit, right? Like we can create this link in like five minutes and raise from 250 accredited investors. And um, most of our customers are accredited because they're general counsels at big tech companies. A bunch of our supply side users are lawyers and they have, you know, a bunch of them have high net worths. Um, it was just like, it's like, it, it almost to me just felt like a no brainer. We were just sort of waiting for the tool to come out. Right. And when you're a marketplace, it's like, you know, like imagine if 
like Uber at their early days did an RUV and allowed their users to invest or, 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 or Airbnb allowed their hosts to like invest into their company at the, at the earliest stages, how much more powerful would their platform be today? So, um, I liked it from that aspect of like really empowering our customers and users that actually made the platform valuable, right? It's like, mm -hmm. we, can, we can build the best tech platform possible, but like without our demand side, and without our supply side, we're pretty much like worthless, right? Like no one, right. there's no value created with that. So it just felt right in that way um, mm -hmm. um, to, to be able to like um, give them an opportunity. And also it's a win-win, right? It's like, you probably, probably are gonna avoid a lot of churn down the road if they have you know, a piece of the business. Like what are the chances that a customer is gonna move to another competitor if they have some skin in the game, right? So there are these kind of strategic high level stuff um, that just made sense from, from, from that perspective. And then it was just a matter of just like experimentation and mobilizing it, right? Like it was, it was, it was, it was very much like just kind of hacked together. We had a sub stack with a bunch of our customers and, and leads. And we just sort of sent out this email to just gauge the level of interest. And they filled out a Google form and we got, we, you know, we were just like, okay, if this isn't like higher than like a hundred K, then like, we're not going to do this. We're going to just go and raise the traditional way. And we ended up getting, I think just from that, like first email blast, like 250 K or so in wow. interest, just from our users. And we're just like, we had no idea. And it's just like, <laughs> like, I think about it, like how many more Substacks are, you know, are out there where people would just be like willing to like, um, put in some money. Um, so we're like, okay, that's cool. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Just did some, you know, figured out the valuation because we weren't, you know, we weren't really intending to have a lead VC, like, you know, anchor the round. We want to just do it in this kind of like freestyle way. Looked at some public companies, looked at some private companies. We ended up coming up with like a eight or nine X multiple off of our annualized run rate. So that came out to being, we were doing, we were at like an $8 million run rate. So we ended up sort of putting the terms at an 80 million cap, which my opinion, I think is pretty conservative compared to like the multiples that Fair. a lot Fair. of other, you know, a lot of other companies were, were raising at, raising at currently right now. Um, and also like, I wanted to, you know, like, by the, sure way, the market, the market's corrected from 200 X down to, <laughs> you know, 75 to hundred X. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and you know, I wanted to get a good return for these early users. So I was just like, that would, that would be a really cool feeling if like somebody invests, like, a thousand bucks and we turned that into like 10,000 bucks and they've never made an investment before. So like all of those things were just like, this feels right. This feels really cool. This feels very empowering. Um, mm. and it just snowballed from there. Um, people, um, we eventually used this tool called journey that allowed me to basically record a pitch, put our deck there, um, uh, put our live financials on a Google sheet. It's just like, it's a new, new tool that just stitches together a bunch of different multimedia links into one presentation. And, um, I just shared that with a few people and it just caught getting shared with more and more people. And at the end of the link, there was just a one click way to invest in our RUV. So mm. I predominantly did that because I, w I wanted to maximize the quantity of investors. And if I did that, then I couldn't take like individual meetings with every single person. So this was just sort of like, here's everything you need to know in a super transparent way. You can make up your mind in 30 seconds. And I was just, you know, it just, it just allowed for faster no's, right? Which allows you to then spend more time with the people that actually are interested in your business. And I think that oftentimes when you're fundraising, you're just like, again, similar to like, you're just going after every single customer, you're going after every single investor. And, you know, you could be spending like two, three meetings with somebody that it just doesn't work out. It's and it's like, yeah, it's not even yeah, a yeah. fit. Right. And it's just like, and I didn't want that. I experienced that already. And I was just like, I 
don't want to go through like a hundred plus pitch meetings to get to like the third one and get like a no. Like I'm, I was like, I'm done with that. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll raise again that way. But like, as of right now, like I do not want to do that. Um, so. No, I, I think what the, the, the best founders I see really are ruthless in their later stage, like Brown's, um, you know, where they're like, I've done the research. I know you're a fit for this here's the here's like the deck you tell me if you want to participate in our process and if this is a fit for you from an investment perspective before i spend the time to do things yeah at the seed at the seed and pre-seed it's like there's a lot of investors who just take meetings and haven't even looked at the deck you know what i mean and that's that's yeah. a shame right especially as a former founder i'm just like god you never you never want to waste founder's time um yeah do so one question i have objection to this would be <clears throat> you know if you have a buddy who owns a bar and somebody like invests in the bar and then they go and expect to get free drinks you know <laughs> um do your investors now come to you and say like hey i'm a customer you know give me a little bit of a discount or in fact they're like i should pay full price because you're a real business now yeah um we personally haven't seen that come up um uh yet um, I want to mm -hmm. also say like, um, you know, our product is really meant for big tech companies, pre IPO or recently gone tech companies. So like if they, um, you know, unless they run a company like that, um, they don't really sort of approach us, but even if they do, and honestly, like we'd give a discount, right? Like it's like, yeah, yeah. you've supported us, right? Like, like, okay, we'll take like a five or 10% hit on the margin. Um, like, like I'd be cool with that. I mean, I don't know if our finance team would, but like <laughs> if they did come up to us and like, they believed in this business and, and they wrote us a check, you know, even before we had like a lead VC and, you know, didn't really have a whole lot of money, you know, committed up front initially. And they took that bet on us. Like I, I do it. Right. I, I, I think, I mean, it's up to the founder, but, um, but you know, it, it they're, they're, they're they're all super chill and they're all really busy too. So they're not really like bugging me all the time. Like, you know, I use, yeah. I use this app called Cabal that yeah, allows yeah. you to sort of segment them out. And I have like, like the product investors. So I'll send like interviews with candidates to them for like the last round or something to vet them out or, you know, go through some kind of coding challenge. I have the writers group. So like they help me sort of like tweak up and edit the, the tweet thread. I have like the big account followers where they'll just like, you know, like engage with my social content. So like, it's like, there's so many other functions now that, mm -hmm. you know, like never existed before. Like they're almost like an extension of the company. And, you know, that's very different than the VC experience, which is sort of what I was used to. Again, they're great. They have deep pockets. They'll bail you out. But like, they're not going to help you edit like a tweet thread, you know, they're not yeah, going to like yeah, yeah. help you interview like a, the, the, a candidate, like they're just too busy for that. And that's cool. You know, that's fine. Um, so but that's what we were kind of like looking for. And ultimately we ended up raising 6 million bucks on, you know, um, using this journey, RUV, um, like setup, And we ended up getting this founder turned VC at the end to like pretty much fill up the rest of the round. So instead of like getting a VC in the beginning to, put in a chunk and convince everybody else. We convinced everybody else and then got like $3.7 million wire um, at the very end. Um, so, you know, it was just very different. And there, I, I kind of like that. There was no like rules for it. There was not really much guidance, but like I did it, just went with the flow and, and it ended up like working out pretty well, I think. Yeah, bravo. 
well executed despite all of the drama along the way. And you're right that it's a small part of the journey, but important milestone in keeping the business going. So I always like to end on what's the 12-month plan and what's the 10-year plan? Yeah. So the 12-month plan is definitely um, growing the team from, I think we're at 15 right now, 15 to 30. Um, Sort of like we recently just hired a business coach and we've been kind of like, it felt like basically like we were like, becoming an adult company. So we were actually like <laughs> setting out like goals, which we've never done, OKRs, um, roles and responsibilities, which is sort of like the leadership team. Um, mm. So a lot more kind of like infrastructure in terms of like, how do we like manage people? How do we scale people? How do we make the existing people better? How do we think about like, you know, what makes us different in the market? So it's so a strategy stuff that I never thought like we'd ever do because we never would get to that level. We're now sort of like, thinking about that a lot more um, in terms of the next, like, you know, it, it, the next decade um, there's definitely plans for expanding law trades beyond legal. We're actually even exploring like a name change at the moment. And mm. uh, I think that the tools that we're building right now is universal to mm. knowledge workers everywhere. It's like, we, you know, we are focusing on legal right now, but ultimately, you know, it could be in the future disrupting the, you know, management consulting model or finding, you know, disrupting the McKinsey model or disrupting the big four accounting model. There's so many independents that exist that used to work at these institutions that are fully capable of delivering amazing services at a much lower rate with a better experience because you're working directly with somebody instead of an institution or a partner. Um, that's, I think the bigger vision is like a, like a global universal platform for work that encompasses all kinds of professional services industries. So yeah, I'm excited about that. And just as I hope it still stays fun. You know, that's, I think that's probably the most important part. I just for another 10 years, it has to be fun. So I'm hoping that's baked in there too. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely loving that. And I sound like a boomer and I agree with enjoying the journey. Like no one put a gun to your head and forced you to do this like you chose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is, it is, uh, it's glad to see you on the other side, Rod. It's super impressive. You guys uh, go to lawtrades.com. The future is bright for you guys. I'm really, you know, uh, I'll put the Twitter thread in the notes. It's it's really impressive, your story. Um, and it was really nice to have you on the show. Thanks, John. Super fun. Thanks for having me.